0: All right. So look, this morning has been every bit of a just a curveball for me. I I woke up this morning with an outline just like ready to go. And my heart has just been just wrestling so much this morning. Oh, okay. Hold on. I'm I'm crying a lot today, so I I just feel it. There we go. It's back down. It'll probably come back up. But um yeah, uh, you know, we're talking about Love today, and there's kids present, so I'll be vague. But when we're kids, we believe in things that are amazing, and we believe in people that are really generous around certain times of year. And so we all are we all on the same page, okay? Because we're just gonna move right past it. Because I really don't want to sit here. Um, I don't want to mess this up for you know families. Um, but. I think, you know, we can look back on those times when we were just like immersed in innocent belief and maybe go, oh, that's so sweet, like, oh, what a cute little kid I was, and I thought all that was real, and despite all the logistical problems that would prevent that from being real, and, and uh, I don't know, I was just kind of thinking this morning about how you kind of grow up and you get smart enough and aware enough to go, oh, my gosh, it's so stupid, how do I even believe, you know? How did that work? And I just sensed in my spirit this morning that as we're talking about God's love, you know, last week we talked about, it's a big bet to bet your soul on Christianity, to bet your soul on Jesus, like to go, I'm just staking my life that this is real. This invisible God that I've never seen, but I'm just like really sure he's real. It's that's a, that's a big bet, right? And I just like, as I was thinking about the love of God, I just immediately I just know that in some of us, if not all of us, when you start thinking about the love of God on your life specifically, that God loves you, 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 not the crowd, you, that immediately logic goes to war. Like on your mind, that experiences pain, hurt, I don't know, a lot of stuff. And I just like, I think I was just struck by the obstacles, the hurdles in front of us to accept that not only is God real, right? That's already hard. I mean, my goodness, like, how's that even work? Where did it all come from? But then that he's real and he's attentive, that he knows you by name, and that he loves you so much. I'm just like, I'm just, uh, I am, just heart, I, I don't know, I feel like I have a broken heart this morning, which is weird because we're talking about God's love, so it's like, it's all pretty, like, legit, it's pretty good, whatever this is. And, <laughs> and uh, but I think I just, I, 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 in my heart, I mean, I struggle to believe it. And I feel like I'm around the best people all the time, and they all just love the Lord super hard. And if I struggle, then, I mean, we struggle, right? I have all the best influences around me, and I'm still like, God, how does this work? So wherever you're at with, uh, believing in God, and then the next step of believing that he loves you so much. Um, Yeah, it's okay, and we can be real about that, but today I just want to pray that like God in his spirit will really help us wrap our minds around how much he loves you specifically for real. Um, so there's this passage that I don't have in my notes, but I felt led to talk about, and I actually don't want you to turn there, because I'm going to just, in a second, I'm going to read it all to you, but I want to remind us where we are in the season, so we're in Advent, as Sarah was saying earlier, and if you're like me and didn't grow up in an Advent tradition, let me explain it really quickly, really simply, that's how my brain works, so Advent, the literal word, it means the arrival of someone noteworthy, all right, it means someone important showed up. And in the Christian tradition, um, you might have guessed this, but we think that important person is Jesus, all right? So like if you ever, even if you didn't grow up Christian and never heard of Advent until this moment right now, if you've ever seen like a nativity scene where there's like parents looking at a baby in Christmas lights, you know, um, that's Jesus. That's, that's, that's the nativity scene. And that represents for us the first Advent, the first time the noteworthy person being Jesus came, that God became flesh and was born. So when we say, hey, we're celebrating Advent, Half of that is back then. We're celebrating that Jesus, in fact, came. And then there's a second Advent that we also celebrate, and it hasn't happened yet. It's God's promise that Jesus will come again. That's the second Advent over there. And then we're kind of in, in between hanging out in between these two Advents, all right? So Advent over here, Advent over here, and then us just chilling, all right? And so when I say that we're in the middle of Advent, that's what I'm talking about. So does that connect? Does that make sense? It just means we're celebrating that Jesus came, that he he came once and he's coming again, okay? And last week we talked about hope, and this week we're talking about love. And as we were worshiping at the 9 a.m. during the second song, right before I'm about to come up, I just felt this story was so important this morning. And I honestly... Man, this may be for all of us, it may just be for one of us, but uh, I want to invite you to close your eyes if you are comfortable with that. And I want you just to imagine the scene because it's pretty stunning and pretty powerful. And we'll sit here as long as it feels like we should. Um, yeah, so this is John chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And we talked about our imagination a lot last week and how important the imagination can be. It can help us receive things, it can help us think about things deeper. So don't be, don't be hesitant to let your imagination paint the scene that you're hearing as I read to you. So this is John 8. So it was early in the morning, and Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So as you're painting the picture in your mind, you, you might even picture something very similar to right now. A, a people were gathered in a room. There was a man sitting and talking. Um, in this situation. When I say scribes and Pharisees, picture whoever comes to your mind as the people that are there every time the church door opens. They know the word. Um, The only part is they don't, they're not very compassionate. They're not very loving. They're really consumed with knowing a lot about God, but they don't really reflect the heart of God. So these people, the scribes and the Pharisees in the middle of this church gathering, they brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. So she was caught sleeping with someone that wasn't her husband who have been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This is happening in front of everybody. It's pretty intense, embarrassing, humiliating. And they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. The older ones were wise enough to know they'd been stumped, so they left first. The younger ones followed. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And just with your eyes closed, I just, I don't know, I think that was hitting my heart because there's a lot of voices that condemn you. I just, I felt my heart that some of these voices are external. You've heard hurtful words, words of condemnation, that for one reason or another, you just, you didn't have it in you. You weren't good enough. You'd gone too far. You'd wrecked your life. Some of you are, are hearing this voice internally, this voice of condemnation. That goes, it's bad enough. You might as well not be living And you might be getting this voice because there was a decision that you made personally that was beyond what you thought you'd ever do. It was really bad. It was bad. And you come in here and you have every plan to keep God at arm's length because you just know that you're not worthy. Maybe you're here and something happened to you and it was not in your control. But you're left dealing with the, the mess of it all. And even though you can rationally talk through, it's not my fault, it, someone else did it, you still feel the dirt. I don't know what voices we're carrying with this, whether they're external or internal, but I know that there was a moment where a woman who was caught in adultery was dragged before a lot of people. Guilty written all over her. And Jesus, the only one who had the right to condemn the perfect one, frees her. There is nothing that anyone can say to you. There is nothing that anyone can do to you. And there's nothing you can do to yourself that can make you too unclean for Jesus to clean you. There is nothing you can do to condemn yourself. Jesus, the one who has the say so, the final say in all this, is life and freedom. God, will you help us to receive this word. We come in, I think, often just assuming that we're here to help. We're here to help you out. That's as far as it goes, God. Will you help us to see that you love us? You long to free us. You long to look us in the eyes and say, I don't condemn you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're gonna be in uh, Luke chapter two. You can turn there. That's on page 500 in our Blue Bibles if you're using it. So we're gonna be in Luke two, one through 20. And we're gonna read a, a story that probably regardless of whatever tradition you grew up in, you're familiar with it. It's the story of Jesus being born. And something I said last week, and I'll probably say it every week for Advent. I love Advent because it gives us a chance to Remember things that we already know, but to know it on a deeper level. Last week I talked about, you know, you know that drinking water is good for you, and you know that fitness is good for you, but there's some things you know so well that they stop making an impact on your actual life. You know, you're like, I know, but can I have a Coke, please? You know, it's like, you know something so well, but it actually has no impact. And I think that sometimes stories that we hear over and over again, they just become redundant. And I love Advent because it just provides this natural intersection where we can sit, And observe the story that we've heard a million times, but absorb it. Like, sit there long enough to let the story go deeper into our hearts. And so the invitation last week is the same invitation today. Hey, I'm going to read a story that you've heard before, and I'm going to talk about some things that you probably already know on some level, right? Um, But this morning, I just want to invite you, with with everything you can muster, to, to lean in and to absorb it. Let the truth that you that you're hearing for maybe the 100th time, maybe for the first time, let it sink deep enough into your heart where you can actually believe it and live with it in your heart. That's the tricky part, right? And so use your imagination this morning, come with me. This is the messiest teaching I can remember having. So no promises that this is gonna make any sense, but if it does, pay real close attention because that was probably the Lord, all right? All right. All right, Um, right, Luke chapter chapter 2. All right, I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 20. And uh, yeah, just listen up. Listen with fresh ears. See if you hear something that catches your attention. In those days, it was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Jesus also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So it's it's helpful if you're full of fear and someone just says, hey, don't be, okay. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. as it had been told them. All right, so I just read a story that you're familiar with, okay? We're close to the Christmas season. Zero of you are surprised that I just read the story of Jesus being born, okay? But let's go there a little deeper. Let's sit there, observe it, absorb it long enough for it to begin really getting into our hearts, okay? Um, So I, this week, as I was thinking about this story, you know, when I think about Jesus coming to earth, I immediately start with when he was alive on earth, which is logical, It makes sense, because he was on the earth, and so it makes sense to think about him on the earth, but the reality is, Scripture says that Jesus always has been, right? That Jesus, that he was, he is God, and that he was with God from the beginning. So that's a big detail, all right? That means that Jesus existed before he was born, which makes him relatively unique compared to us, Um, so it's pretty cool. Um, So he existed before, and he is God, he's with God, and so He is in heaven, all right? That's Jesus' dwelling place before the earth is his dwelling place. Let yourself go there. I don't know if you've ever been like watching the news and seen like a 15-second clip of something really tragic happening, right? Like if if there's ever like footage of like where there's a war taking place, or even recently think about like the fires in California, how devastating that has been. I don't know if you've ever like watched those clips and, and been like, man, that is you know, super sad, and I just wonder what it'd be like to live there. Wouldn't that be crazy? You know, Do you ever do that? You ever go like, what's it like? I can't imagine like, how sad it is, and, and you kind of feel bad for it, which is really good. But I bet that when you watch that news footage, unless something really special is going on in your heart, you're not going, you know, there's so much travesty there. I bet real estate is just plummeting, and a house is super affordable. We should live there, right? Like when you see pain and calamity, You don't go, what do I got to do to live there? That sounds really good. I bet it'd be really easy to find a spot right now as people are fleeing the scene, right? Your reaction is the opposite. You have like probably hopefully a healthy sense of empathy, sympathy, like, oh my goodness, what's going on? It's it's terrible. But the idea is we don't go there. Like, you know, and even on mission trips, it's like, did anyone grow up with short-term mission trips? It's like, yeah, go for a week and just kind of taste the calamity and be like, oh my gosh, okay, we're here. Okay, see ya, Man, I can't imagine living there. Whoa. You know? In fact, our culture, we're like, hey, where's a beautiful place that everyone is saying five stars, super peaceful, beautiful view, and how can I retire there? And if that's a little too luxurious, at least how can I save up enough money to go vacation there for seven days, right? We tend to chase places of peace and luxury. That's just kind of our instinct, right? And there's probably something healthy in that. We want to preserve our lives, be safe, all those things, right? Last week, we talked about Revelation 21. Revelation 21 this promise of a new heaven and a new earth. No pain, no tears, no mourning. Beautiful thing, sounds really good. That's the kind of place you want to vacation. That's the kind of place you want to retire, heaven, right? And it just hit me this week as I let this story absorb deeper. Don't just skim over it. it, let it sink in. Oh my goodness. The beauty of Revelation 21 is Jesus's reality before he ever comes to earth okay? That's crazy. Perfection. Jesus in heaven, no pain, no tears, no mourning. In fact, the exact opposite. Perfection is just centered around Jesus himself. Perfection is worshiping and declaring the praises of Jesus. And I just let myself think about that scenario. If I'm in heaven and it's perfect and everyone is singing my praises and I become aware, I'm aware of this earth where people have been given this incredible, powerful thing of like choosing if they want to obey God or not. And they've just made a mess of it and there's pain and there's calamity. To understand, that the sin and the pain and the calamity of the world is infinitely far from the perfection of heaven. Jesus' situation is sitting in perfection, being worshiped by all of heaven, and he sees the earth. And I just want you to like accept for a second that not only is the story that we were far from God, but that our sin, God was so infinitely far from sin and pain and brokenness, Okay. That's what Jesus is doing before he shows up here. He's just in heaven. And I was just thinking about the proverbial news channel of the world and Jesus seeing the condition of the world. If that's me, all right, this is my response. That sucks. That's too, man, my goodness. Look at that. Okay, y'all can keep singing. Let's do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is perfect over here. I'm chilling over here. Think about your instinct. If you're in perfection and you see calamity, what do you do? You dodge the calamity, right? Am I hitting home? Are you hearing the logic of this? I know it's simple, but just understand, that that is Jesus's reality. And he makes, from eternity's past, a conscious decision to close a gap that is infinite. He chooses to take the form of a human. Crazy, y'all. You know it, don't you? But do you know it? That Jesus did not need earth, all right? We made a mess. There was no need for him to come clean it up. Just shoo that away. His pride, he can do whatever he wants to do. But he chooses to close this gap to enter in human flesh. For the longest time, the whole world was just resting in the hands of God. And then in an instant, it flips. God in flesh, Jesus resting in the hands of humanity. Literally Mary holding God with a little poopy diaper. Guys, that's crazy. Think about how vulnerable it was for Jesus to cross that gap and to take on flesh, and to be here in this earth. It's incredible, but he doesn't just enter it. He experiences the earth. He's not like some, I think sometimes we consider him this. He's not some like translucent human kind of floating around and teaching really cool parables and they're just kind of whisking away. Just like, oh, see you later. Come and believe, repent. No, he's like, he's like walking. He has heartache. Like John the Baptist, his guy, his ride or die. The guy that like was like, hey, get ready. Jesus is coming. He is murdered. And Jesus desperately seeks a desolate place of isolation because he's mourning. The crowd see that Jesus is going. They follow him. His response, compassion in the midst of pain. Jesus felt this stuff. The most stressed out moment in all of scripture, you know I love this scene, is the Garden of Gethsemane. The most stressed, anxious, like I'm about to have, I'm already having a panic attack is the life of Jesus in the garden. It says he's distressed to the point of death. I've had a few little bouts with anxiety. I've never been anxious enough where I thought I'm dying right now. It's over. Jesus has this moment. So he doesn't come just like floating like some like holy Christian Casper. He's a real human, right? Right? It's a very powerful story, and I was just thinking about how just weird and ambiguous love is, right? Like we say, have you seen that movie? I loved it. Have you been to Baja? I love that place. My wife, I love her, right? And so love can really go everywhere, and we all kind of know, think we know what it means, but it's kind of vague. And I love when people—here we go—I love when people can take complex things and make them simple, can take ambiguous things and make them plain, right? That's a, that's a, that's a gift. In fact, I was, uh, I was an ACT tutor, which is a joke, in and of itself, that I was an ACT tutor at any point in my life, but I was, and my teachers in high school would be stunned or scared for the students to hear that information. My ACT score would not reflect that of an ACT tutor, but anyway, I was tutoring kids, and one of the things I learned immediately, and if you're a teacher on any capacity, you know this, it is like a gift to be able to take something complex and make it simple for someone to accept it and learn it and process it, right? That's hard to do, like telling a second or third or whatever the age would be what multiplication is. It's kind of hard. Like that's when I realized, oh, I don't really know how to explain multiplication. Let's figure this thing out, right? It's hard. Like This is why Jesus would take heavenly concepts and turn them into parables. He'd be talking to a bunch of farmers and go, hey, here's, okay, here's, here's the deal. Imagine you have a bunch of seed, and that's the good news. That's the gospel. And you just throw the seed everywhere. There's four types of soils, okay? There's the good, healthy soil. The seed just falls right in there, and it, and it, and it grows, and it roots itself, and it bears fruit. That's good soil, then there's bad soil. And by the time he's done, I'm sure they were just like, hey, we understand, we know how seeds work, thank you. He's like, yeah, but that, that is how the human heart is with the gospel. And you gotta ask yourself, what kind of soil is in your heart? And they're like, oh, wow, that was pretty nifty, right? It's a cool thing. Love is so already kind of vague. That word is, can be shallow. It's a very deep word, but it can be used recklessly, right? And so when I say God is love, It's like, what are we thinking? What are we meaning? This infinite, invisible force loves, what does that even look like? That's where this word that's super handy comes into mind, incarnate. Incarnate means a deity that takes on flesh. God is love. Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus is love. That when God took on flesh in the form of Jesus, we had love walking around. (laughs) Like, Love in and of itself, not ambiguous, not a metaphor, not a, hey, figure this thing out. It's kind of complex. Everything Jesus does, love does. He is love. And I so appreciate that God gave us this blueprint. Like, if you don't understand what love is from this infinite, invisible force, man, it's closer than you think. It put on flesh. His name is Jesus. Everything he does is done out of love. That's what we're celebrating. And another place that my mind was taken this morning I didn't have a lot of time to plan something good to say not that I ever do have anything good to say but you know it's better than normal than it is today anyway let's sorry I'm, being, I'm trying to be vulnerable but I'm being confusing alright let's get back the passage John three sixteen. who can quote that for me without looking it up I'd love it come on uh, God the right for God so great job for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have everlasting life. I feel like God brought me to that passage because that is like a global verse, right? You don't have to be Christian to know of John 3:16. And when I think for God so loved the world, that's big, right? It's a big world. Billions of people, billions of people before us, billions of people right now, billions of people after us. And when I hear John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, I just think of a huge group of people. It's big. I don't believe that God wants you to only consider him a God of big, broad love, even though that's true and it's extremely powerful that his love reaches so far. The story of Advent is that his love came very close and was very specific. I remember the first time I went to Ethos Church here, but at the cannery, Dave Clayton was preaching. And if you, whatever vocation you're in, if you really enjoy it, you probably have someone in your vocation that you look up to and hope to be like. Like if I could be just almost as good as them, I'd be really impressed with myself, right? Well, Dave's that guy to me. And so it was really cool to hear him preaching. He's doing what he does. He's preaching in ways that make you want to cry and go and change the world immediately. And it's just, it's really powerful. And I was, wow, wow, wow that's awesome. After three or four emails, he finally agreed to hang out with me one-on-one. And that and they were one-way emails from me to him. And uh and uh anyway, so we finally hang out, and let me tell you something, there's something really powerful about someone that you've only ever seen talk to the masses talk to you one-on-one. That was a really cool thing. It's like, man, I knew you were great. Like I knew I heard your sermons, I loved your stories, they're really funny, but I connected with them and it made me wanna be obedient, all this cool stuff. But now it's just me and you hanging out. At Portland Brew. This is insane, right? It's a really cool thing. Like, just imagine someone you look up to if you haven't met him yet, to be able to sit down with them one-on-one. And I think so often, maybe this isn't isn't you, but it might be when you think of the love of God, you think of how I thought of Dave when he preached to the crowds. Like, I'm encouraged. He doesn't really know me, but man, that's cool that I got to be here for it. It's kind of vague and big and out there, but I believe in the Advent season, as we soak in the love of God, that God wants you to know that his love for you is not vague. It's not like broad and up there and ethereal, and like how, how can I get my hands on it? It is, it is tailor-made for you specifically. There are so many moments in Jesus's ministry where if you've heard the story a million times, you go, oh, of course, but where he in the midst of the crowds notices one person. There's a few stories that came to mind that um, I wrote down as not to forget them. Um, hold on. Okay, the first one, the woman at the well. This was cool. She's going to get water at noon. And the reason she's going to get water at the hottest part of the day is because she is an outcast. She has a testimony that is pretty grimy. It's not good. It's not a good look. I don't know if grimy is the word, but it's it's bad, right? And so she's going to the well at a time where no one will see her. And Jesus meets her there, reveals who he is and turns her revival preacher and she leads a whole town to Jesus. He sees her. And this whole time, she felt so dirty that she didn't want to get water at the same time as you. She would not venture to the water cooler and refill her little canteen if you were up there because she knew you knew. And yet there she was, fully exposed in front of Jesus. And all he does is totally transform her life and redeem her and show her, man, you are free. I don't condemn you, right? And there's, um, uh, I don't want to go out of order. Oh yeah, the rich young ruler, gosh, I love his story. This guy comes and sits before Jesus and goes, what do I got to do to have eternal life? And he's in the middle of asking all these questions and you can almost feel his anxiousness. He's like, I got to figure out what I got to do here. And in the middle of it, the writer, makes sure we know, he goes, Jesus looked, at, in the middle of their conversation, out of nowhere it goes, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you were trying to explain something to someone and they just kind of started smiling kind of awkwardly out of the blue. And what are you looking at? You're like, I just love you. I don't know if I've ever had that moment, but doesn't it sound nice? Like, like have you ever been like venting to somebody? It's just like, hey, look, I'm kind of listening, but I'm just, I love you. And I just got this beautiful picture, like this rich young ruler is like, what do I got to do to get eternal life? Like, you ever been before God? Like, God, okay, look, I know you want to say something, but right now I got to talk and I can't stop long enough to listen to you. So here's what's going on, man. School's stressing me out the job. I don't know what she's going to do. Does she like me? Does she not like me? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And the whole time, God's like, look, I hear you. I, I love you. I love you. I just wonder if you know that, that even if you're in a season where your prayers are full of anxiousness, what's this going to look like? How does this work? I don't know if I got it in me. God, I don't hear you, feel you. Where are you? And if he's just not looking back going, we're going to figure this out. I'm not ignoring this. I love you. Oof. I'm just taking, I'm just, I just love you. Just all in love with you. And I wonder if you know that. As you're talking to God, and you hear this, you're like, oh, "Okay, cool. Like that's what pastors do. They say really encouraging things about God's love for me. That's his job, dude, dude. All right, God loves you. He is so specific with you, and as you're talking to him, no matter with what tone, what he looks at you, and it's just like he looks on you with love. That story, I thought that was really cool. Um, there, oh man, when uh." Like I haven't read these notes already. Oh man, Oh yeah, that's right. Um, there's this woman that uh, reaches out and touches his garment. It's really cool because Jesus is walking and there's all these crowds and this is like celebrity life. Like if you ever see like the paparazzi, all the flashes and people are just trying to like touch the celebrity because we're weird. I don't know why we want to touch people like just because they are on TV or whatever. But, um, but Jesus is honestly in, in the apex of his ministry where people are a fan of his. It's before they want to crucify him. And, and, uh, and the woman reaches out and touches Jesus. And I just, I wonder, I just, I wish I knew how much faith was in her in that moment. If it was just like desperate like this, probably won't matter. But, ah. And Jesus, in the midst of chaos, goes, who touched me? And I wonder if you don't feel like when you come in here and you're surrounded by people and you're like, okay, look, we're all here, just kind of look at God from a distance, but he doesn't notice me. There was this moment where the woman felt exactly like you feel. There's hundreds of people, all are screaming his name. Have you ever wondered how a billion people can pray at the same time and God hears all of it? Me too. I don't know how that works, but I know he's listening. He's attentive. Jesus has this moment where there's a a lot of crowd, plenty of excuse to be like, I got to get out of here. But a woman who's sick, who needs healing, who needs God to hear her, who needs God to acknowledge her existence, reaches out, touches, and God responds. Who was that? And heals her. It's a powerful story. Think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was kind of a bummer of a dude for a while because he was this tax collector. And he just wasn't cool in any way, because he was like this Jewish guy, but he worked for the Roman government to take taxes from Jewish people, but asked for too much from them. And the Roman government was already ripping them off, so he gave the Roman government their piece, but he ripped them off even further to make himself rich. That's what tax collectors do. So Zacchaeus hears about Jesus, and he just knows. He's already canceled himself out. Some of you are going to connect with this story. I don't know if you've ever thought about God and just immediately went, "Look, He's not interested, but I'd like to watch Him from a distance." And so Zacchaeus hilariously climbs a tree and just like hides behind leaves. Just like imagine him like looking through the leaves, and Jesus crosses the two leaves and he goes to the next gap to see Jesus like walking. You know what I mean? Like that's what's happening there. He's like, I, I, "I just I just feel the assumption in this guy. This guy has no interest in knowing me, but I'd like to see what's going on. He's making a lot of news." And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he doesn't go, "What have you been doing?" Change your ways. He goes, I'm coming to your house. Let's get dinner. I just imagine, Zacchaeus had to be so startled, but that's what Jesus, this supposedly this Messiah would say to him first. Let's get dinner, right? His life's transformed. And I just noticed over and over and over again, Jesus being so specific. God so loved the big world, but he knows your story. He tailor-made your story. He knows how you got in this chair today. He sees all of it. Every bit of it. Some of you are here, and last night was a bummer. You're ashamed of last night, and God's like, "I see it. Oh, I love you. Oh, could you? I just got to help get this to your brain. That's my spirit telling you that. Don't ignore that. Don't block it out. Don't move on. Don't let the ADD set in. I'm telling you, sit with it. I love you. That part. I love you. I'm with you. I remember Grandpa loves telling me this story. He told me again on Thanksgiving break. Leah was here for it, and. And uh, he said, Josh, when when you were younger, we were fishing one time. And I said, Josh, do you know what it means when I say I love you? And I was like, no. And he said, it means I would lay my life down for you. I'd die for you, Joshua. That's what I mean when I say I love you. And he said, I didn't respond. (laughs) He said, I just sat in the back of the boat for like seven minutes. And I went, Grandpa? He was like, yeah. I was like, I love you too. (laughs) And he said... (laughs) I know that's a cute. Yeah, I had a good look in that story. I don't usually tell stories where I have a good look. I had one there. It was really sweet of me. I'm uh, amazing. Um, anyway, uh, JK. But but it was there was this moment where he goes his assumptions, I don't really remember this very well at all. But he said I could tell you were perplexed. You never heard love talked about like that, and so you actually started like counting it, like counting it up. Oh, I, okay. Now I love my grandpa, and I love fishing with grandpa. But would I die for grandpa? Let me ponder. I don't want to just say it back, because this is a big deal, right? You know, and that's a big deal. Like I like the boat, but do I like it that much? You know, and uh, anyway, so I contemplated it and and said, I love you too. And I was reminded of that story because there was this sense of contemplation in me, calculation, adding it up. The story of of Jesus coming to the earth before the cross even gets here is so calculated, is so intentional, it's so on purpose. But then he lives on the earth for 33 years. And then when he's arrested, he's not caught off guard. When he's tried so unjustly, he's not caught off guard. He gives his life willingly. That's why it says it in, in John 15. Greater love has no one than this than someone willingly laying his life down for his friends. Greater love. And I just was struck by Jesus's thorough, intentional plan here. To come to earth, to cross that infinitely wide gap already, to have big love for the whole world, but have specific tailor-made love to your story, and then to give up his life for you, and I just, I mean, I'm on this like church staff, it's so healthy, everything's so great, everyone tells me how much I'm loved, and I still just sometimes in the privacy of my life, I'm like, God, do you love me? you love me. I remember someone praying over me and being like, you just love Joshua. I started crying immediately. I was like, oh, I never think of God that way. And I just want you to know God did not create you so that you could be a big part of a crowd and go, man, that passive love of God is so nice to think about. It helps me cope with difficulty. No. God wants you to know his love so intimately, so personally. And so as we go to communion, a lot of times we circle up and talk together. But I'm actually going to give us an individual, kind of independent exercise that I would love for you to try, if you're willing. Um, Andrew, one of the campus pastors said that uh, he read some kind of article that was like, hey, your mind takes the shape of that which you think about the most. Your mind takes the shape of that which you think about the most. So whatever you think about all the time, your mind will shape to that. And I wonder how often you give yourself space to let your mind think about the love of God directly on your life. Your smile, your laugh, when you look in the mirror, that current version of you, He loves you. The things you still haven't told anyone because you don't know how anyone's gonna respond. Things happen to you, you made decisions, it's all uglier than anyone could ever assume. God sees it, is so hyper aware of all of it. He loves you so much. You had no idea. So for communion, as we take bread and and take the juice, we take bread and we remember that God crossed that gap. He took on flesh. That's what the bread is. It's the body of Jesus. He became human. Just stop, just right there. Full stop. That's a big deal. But then we drink the cup and remember that he also shed his blood. He gave his human life so that we could know the Father. And I just want to invite you to sit long enough to where you actually get uncomfortable with how long you've been sitting and basking in the truth that God loves you. Real specific. During communion at the 9 a.m., and I'm wrapping up, but at the 9 a.m. I was praying and I just pictured us as little children. And there's something so vulnerable and sweet about being a little kid. And I don't know, at least me, when I think about me as a kid, before I knew the world or knew anything, I'm just like, oh, what a sweet and innocent, I just love, uh, I just love children, they don't know anything about the world yet, and they just, they're just all about having fun and just kicking back, it's just such a sweet thing, and like, what I feel for a kid is like 0000001 percent of what God looks at and sees us. He just loves us so much. He has loved you from the minute you took your first breath, and so during communion, I'm going to invite you to do something that you've thought about before, you know it. You're not surprised. You came here and heard about Jesus being born, how much God loves you. Nothing surprised you. But to sit in it long enough to make it personal, now he's looking at you in that seat and he loves you a whole lot. And then just to say, God, thank you. God, I'm struggling to believe it. I'm broken. I'm sad. Thank you for loving me. God, I believe it and I'm I'm just so happy, man. Thank you. God, you created my smile, my laugh, my personality. Thank you for doing that on purpose and loving me. God, you see my brokenness, my despair. I don't know how I'm going to make it out of this. Thank you for loving me, and just sit long enough that it can actually sink into your heart. Okay, so I'm going to pray, and I'll dismiss this to communion. God, um, thank you, Lord, for I hope bringing a message um, out of the mess that was my notes this morning. Where you just—it feels like you just changed the whole plan. And God, I just, what's the point if you're not real and don't love us? Like. God, I mean, we're not going to waste our time here. God, we, we believe I, we believe that you love us, that you made us, that, that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us, that we could know you. Help us, Lord, to receive that this morning. We all bring in different stories, different emotions, different experiences right now. Will you help us to receive the same truth? You see us and you love us in Jesus' name. Amen.